Welcome to ASAR Training and Response Podcast. This is episode 11, where we talk with Ken Gilden about wildland fire applications for animal rescue. Welcome back, everybody, to ASAR Training and Response Podcast. With us this week is co-host Carla Lewis. Carla, how are you today? I am great. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And with us today also is Ken Gilden, owner and founder of Animal Fire Rescue out of the San Diego area. Welcome, Ken. Glad to have you. Glad, glad to be here. Ken, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got started uh, with your company at Animal Fire Rescue, and all the other trainings you provide in the San Diego area? Sure. So I grew up in a little town called Idlewild, uh, California, just above Palm Springs. So it's definitely up in the wildland urban interface. Uh, My dad was a fire chief up there. And so I grew up in that environment, uh, you know, doing the firework. And then I went on, got my fire academy at a Crafton Hills uh, Fire Academy, came back and worked for several years uh, with the department and then decided to go back to school become a chiropractor and uh, one of my specialties is animal chiropractic as well as people chiropractic so I've got kind of an animal background and then I've got a fire background all kind of mixed together there Um, around 2015 uh, you came out to San Diego with San Diego Humane Society and held a technical rescue class I wasn't part of San Diego Humane at that point in time but they knew me and they asked if they could use my property for that training and uh, decided I would just kind of hang out and kind of see what the training was all about. And after going through that, realizing how much fun and kind of brought back some uh, you know, memories of doing all that, I decided to go ahead and join San Diego Humane. Um, I made a, kind of a mistake right after I joined them. I joined their uh, technical rescue team and their fire team. And the mistake came in that I started asking questions. I started <laughs> asking them, hey, where's your, where's your RT-130 class? Where is your, you know, your safety classes for your wildland guys? And they just kind of looked at me and went, well, we kind of do this. I'm like, well, that's not really what the national standard is. Next thing you know, I'm teaching all these classes that they had for them. So after a a while of teaching this stuff for them, I realized that there was a a need to have a agency neutral training facility that we could train their people. There's also county guides in San Diego. There's firefighters. There's a lot of different uh, places that needed the training to kind of come together and being in the fire service before I remembered how difficult it was to get multi-agency to get together and do a multi-agency training mm-hmm. everybody has kind of got you know hey I'm the big dog in the room or it's my training this is what I put together so I put together an agency neutral training facility that allows me to bring in different agencies and work together and since neither none of them are the actual unit that put together the training everybody seems to kind of work and play together a whole lot better. The reason why we call it animal fire rescue is that all the training that we do is all uses fire department training standards. So in our wildland stuff, we're using, you know, NWCGA, we're doing, um, we're running NFPA standards. We're doing everything that we can to make sure that our people not only train properly, but are trained according to standards. So if there is an accident or something happens, we can look back at those and say, hey, this is 
this is the way we train and we train to those particular areas. Um, and that's kind of what brought me to where I was at. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. No, and, and that's why we were so excited to have you on today. And and for for listeners that are interested in getting into the wildland fire piece and are having problems figuring out where they fit in, this is why we, you know, are, are talking to Ken today because the national standard uh, is still in its infancy, in my opinion, on how we adapt the animal rescue groups into the resource ordering systems so they can be recognized and put on the forefront with the fire teams. Now, the San Diego area is very unique that they've kind of got this down um, because you guys have so many fires there. Uh, but what we're getting a lot of interest now are, you know, we're seeing big fires in Tennessee. We're seeing big fires in other states where animal groups have never worked with fire groups. There's no interaction. There's no communication. And fire groups don't understand that there are, are now programs like yours out there that are neutral and can merge and bring perspective from fire animal logistics and put it all together in a package. And we're really proud to have Ken bring his program to the ASAR platform in 2020. Uh, so we can start to take his expertise and take this unique environment that he's built out there and start to offer it up in other areas of the country that um, have fire dangers and want to start to incorporate their animal programs. So are you finding success? Are people starting to recognize, hey, this is a necessary resource and training? As a matter of fact, we just, myself and another officer from San Diego Humane Society just took a fire class uh, here in San Diego all last week. And so we were in there. It was a company officer class. We were in there with multiple guys that are all at the engineer level getting ready to become either lieutenants or captains. And they all had to take the same course. And so we were taking it as well for some of our stuff that they're doing. And what was really interesting was how involved these guys were in what we were doing. Since we were coming from an animal perspective, when we were discussing, you know, what we were doing, having to give uh, presentations throughout this, we based everything off of our animal uh, experience in the in the fire service. And these guys, I mean, it was just like captive audience, and they kept coming up to us, going, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, can you produce a class for us?" This particular class we were taking was out of uh, Palomar Fire Academy, and we were all done. The head of the academy came up uh, to me and said, "Hey, we want to have you guys come up here." and give a you know, three-hour class to our academy guys every time we run an academy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is such a need on their side of it to have something done. They don't have the time and the energy when they're out trying to fight fire to be taking care of that animal component. Right. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, in a wildland environment, when you have an evacuation happening, an evacuation of animals is, so much different than an evacuation of people. You know, our law enforcement agencies go out and they'll go into a road closure area that's been sectioned off and they will, you know, just blast from house to house, either getting on the PA or knocking on doors, just really fast. You know, you gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Well, animals are considered property. They're not considered humans. So they they don't have the same level. They the law enforcement can't prioritize them like they can people. And then animals, especially large animals, have no way of getting themselves out of the area. You just come knock on the door and say, hey, you got to go. And if you've got, you know, two horses and three dogs there, 
they, they can't load up the car and take off on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's such a necessity to have personnel that are trained that can come back into those fire areas and evac out those animals and do it in a safe way so that you're not increasing the amount of danger to the fire service that's going on there. You know, one of the old systems for dealing with large animal was they, the sheriff's office would just go through and they would just open up gates and allow the animals just to run. You know, and that, that's a very old model and nobody does that anymore. But I still hear occasionally at one of my trainings, I'll hear somebody say, well, what, if we don't have time to evac them, how, why don't we just let them run loose? And that creates a very dangerous situation for both the fire personnel and for the people that are out there trying to rescue them because they're, they're not in a contained area. Yeah, and, and we still hear that uh, even in, in places of Colorado last year that caught fire or places in Kansas of uh, after the fire, you know, there was a there was uh, an accident, you know, a, a horse hit by a fire truck in the smoke because uh, somebody let the horse loose and, um, you know, things like that were where these animals, people thought they were doing the right thing and, and kicking them loose or cutting fences. And in fact, some sort of tragedy happened and, and the property in question may have never been touched. So such great points all together there. Yeah, we've had that even as recently as fires here in San Diego as well. That's, that's been real recently happening here too. So it's not, it's not uncommon. We're just trying to get the training down so guys don't do those kinds of things. I'm sorry, go, go ahead. You had a question for me? Yeah, Ken. So um, it sounds like your start in the fire was more on the human side. So at what point did you kind of transition over to, to animals and how did that transition kind of happen? Well, I, I was already, like I said, I, I was a chiropractor. I do, I'm one of the few animal chiropractors. So I had a big animal background. And then really my exposure came into it when I was asked to host uh, Eric's training here on, on my property. And after seeing that, I was like, wow. And I had really had very little idea of how important or how much of a need there was, you know, for any of that. You know, my, my exposure before in the fire service, like you said, had all been people-based. And whenever really, you know, we always just kind of did the best we could with an animal situation. And after going through his uh, technical rescue training, and uh, then starting to get involved with uh, San Diego Humane and realizing that, uh, wow, there was a real need here for people to be able to go in and safely be able to you know, evac animals. And you're dealing primarily with volunteer units. So, you know, one of our big challenges in our training, you know, we have groups that are handlers. We have groups that are running transport units. Well, guys that run horse trailers and drive horse trailers, they're very well you know, good with that. Our handlers, they're all very good. You can give them some extra handling, handling training on how to work inside that fire environment. But then there's our scout units, and those are our units that go out into the field and make sure that the scene is safe. They become your line officer safety unit. And teaching those people is where the big challenge comes in because they have no, nobody, nobody in their day-to-day job is a wildland fire safety officer. You know, they, they don't do that on a regular basis. So we have to teach them from scratch, you know, how to read smoke, how to read fire, how to read weather, how to predict things so that when they're watching and being the lookout while the other while the team is actually evacuating the animals, they know what to look for so that all of a sudden they're not just getting overrun by something. You, you know, I don't know if that answered the question. I kind of got off track there a little bit, but... Uh, 
No, that actually, that was, that was a perfect answer because it, it leads into, you know, a lot of what we do, we work with planners, um, whether they're an animal planner, whether they are an emergency management planner at a county, state level is, you know, when we talk about the different type of disasters and what are the hazard mitigations in your area, you know, again, this wildland fire piece, we've tried to push on it for several years and it's like pushing on jello. Yes, you can make a little progress here, but then it gives someplace else and we've never brought together or never had that conversation where it's unified, where we can push it either from a federal level down or from a state level up. So we end up working with individual jurisdictions or, or different states. But again, you brought up some great points in your answer there. When we talk about wildland fire, you just talked about all the different groups that function as, as a unit for San Diego Humane. And then how do we translate that to other areas of the country? So let's, let's just take an example of, um, you know, we'll go back to Colorado and Colorado has some fairly good planning um, in place in segments, but again, they've got the mountainous area and some of those areas have smaller animal rescue groups um, or civilian groups that need to have training. And again, folks, we, we are not criticizing those big hearted people that want to help. We're saying there's a right way to do it. There's a standard to meet. If you want to be part of that standard, we need to get you to Ken's trainings. And so you can start to learn the right way to do things. And that's the whole premise for the ASAR platform and, and in those training classes, we want you to do it. There's a place for everybody, but you got to do it the right way. So Ken, if you're talking to a county planner, that has a, a small uh, animal rescue team, is there, is there things that you can say to that planner? Hey, here are the things that you need to ask questions about to your civilian groups, or here are the, the, different, the different segments that you need to start putting under wildland fire planning for animals. So one of the, in, one of the best things to do when you're dealing with any type of starting from scratch deal is not go reinvent the wheel. Um, one of the, agencies that I work with a lot, San Diego Humane Society, they spent the last year, year and a half, completely, they tore their whole entire system down to nothing and said, we are going to rebuild this from the ground up using FEMA standards, using ICS standards, using, you know, federally recognized uh, jobs and job titles and doing it in a way that is some, was very painful uh, in a lot of times for them. I uh, see how you know how hard they work. They've got a uh, phenomenal lieutenant over there named John Peebler who has just really put a lot of time and energy in to getting their whole system laid out so that you know their job tasking and everything all fits within that. Now it's difficult because not everything fits exactly into the perfect boxes, but if you can get it as close as possible. Then when you're dealing with another agency that's also getting it as close as possible over there, the differences become so minor. Um, if you're starting from scratch, yeah, that's a great way to do it, to go in and do. But also another big advantage to having everybody kind of working on the same playbook is, has to do with your you know, MOUs. When somebody needs help in another you know, county or another state, you know, if you can say, yeah, here's what we use, and they're using the same thing, when you're sending personnel to go help them, it, it, you're not trying to figure out what to do with this personnel. You can just say, hey, what are you tasked to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm good for this. 
great. And you can plug them right in for whatever you need them to do. And you know that they've got some basic level of training that puts them at, a, at an operational level. Uh, one of the big advantages I see from using fire department uh, standards, let's say NFPA, NFPA likes to break things down into awareness level and operational level. On your awareness level, that gives your people, they've got some you know, knowledge on how to do it, do things, but they're not at a level where you can send them out to be operating you know, solely on their own. They need to be with somebody else that knows what they're doing. And then you've got your operations level people, you know, or your technician level sometimes it'll be called. And those people will, they can operate. You give them a task, you give them something to do, and they're going to be able to do it both task and tactical. They're going to be able to accomplish what you need it. So what we do with you know, San Diego Humane and with the uh, Department of Animal Services here in San Diego, we will not send any awareness level people into a fire area unless they're with an operational person. And that, that gives them some experience, that gives them some training, but then it also makes sure that they're safe the entire time. Nice. No, I, and I love that uh, that safety awareness at all levels. Carla, I've got a question for you. Um, you know, we we get a lot of questions from animal control officers all over the country, and some of them uh, are very interested in the wildland fire piece. And we're starting to see that, you know, obviously the disasters start at home. If there's a fire in a jurisdiction and an ACO uh, may inadvertently be, you know, somebody's going to call nine one one. I need help loading my horse, or I've got, you know, eighteen greyhounds and I have to use uber um somebody come help me and an aco is engaged like that from an aco point of view um if you have never been in a fire before what are the things that that you would want to see in those trainings i've been sitting here just kind of my brain's actually been kind of rolling because i am looking at things from an animal control perspective and here in kansas where we're at we have recently you know in the past few years had a lot of of wildfires um out on the plains and you know there's just there i think the big thing is there just is a lack of training in general um about everything i think a big part of it is just how these agencies like you said can working together um we just really have a lack of training involved or just communication between the two parties where where they can bring maybe even just bring an aco in with a firefighter um, who can, you know, help with that side and they can handle the animal side. I, you know, I think this just really highlights the fact that this is an area that most animal services are really lacking in um, because it is such a dangerous situation that we do have to be careful who we're letting in to these fire zones. And without proper training, um, even at the awareness level, we're, we're missing out on this. And so I think this is really, really huge for animal control officers, anyone who lives in a jurisdiction where this is a possibility, um, I think you need to start those conversations with your emergency managers, with your fire departments, start those conversations. I know it's really difficult. A lot of times animal control officers think they're the, you know, redheaded stepchild of the, of the family. They're, they're the last thought. And, um, but when, when, you know, the stuff hits the fan and you have a whole shelter that's about to go up in flames, you know, you have to have those conversations beforehand of what are we going to do and, um, you know, just just even starting those conversations with your fire department as what what is our plan here for animals during these situations is, I think, the best place to start. 
Well, and, and even our, our shelter partners that, that listen in, you know, not everybody, well, as I've said for every podcast, is that if you don't have your shelter and your transport logistics set up, your ACER teams are worthless because all they're going to do is stand there and hold dogs on a leash because there's no place to take them. When we're looking at a mass evacuation, you know, in all these different pop-up shelters, and again, California does it really well of in their planning establish okay this is going to be the ad hoc large animal evacuation point uh, and shelter and it's usually a fairgrounds but you know it's important that the we include our shelter people in some of this training uh, so they have perspective of what fire's doing and their expectations what the acos are doing their expectations what the asar teams and, and what the volunteer teams are doing and that way when it comes time to kind of have that unified animal rescue approach is these folks have already met face to face shook hands and kind of talked about their expectations on how things should flow because uh, there's nothing worse than have an impromptu fire and have several hundred people evacuate with their animals and there's no place to go or there's no pre-identified evacuation. And, and that gets back to some of the canned messaging from our public information officers. If you're a planner right now, I hope you're jotting down, we need to talk to our PIOs because that's gonna be one of the first things you need to put in your social media and your evacuation post. You need to evacuate and here's where you need to go if you have animals. And Ken, are, are, are you feeling good about that? Are people talking about that in your trainings and getting a, a holistic approach at, at their planning? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, I deal with guys, you know, obviously a lot on the smaller scale, the, you know, the guys that are dealing, you know, at the planning level of San Diego Humane and uh, Department of Animal Services. I've, uh, one of my big coups that I feel, you know, very good about uh, when I started all my training stuff here was bringing those two agencies together. Um, previously, when I first started working with uh, San Diego Humane, the two agencies hardly even spoke to each other. And now we're doing cross training. I'm holding a RT-130 class, two of them tomorrow, and I've got both agencies that are showing up, and they're going to be working together on that. So it really is a, a nice thing to have them, you know, coming together. And then now they're, I'm, you know, they're talking and saying, hey, yeah, how can we do, how can we operate, you know, as one unit for these things and getting things out. One of the even just very small little things that I've got them to do was to hand out, give us cards that don't have, you know, not business cards for us, but business cards that we can hand out to law enforcement as we're going through the road closures and saying, hey, if anybody comes up to you and is, you know, wanting to get through here to get their animals back, here's who they call. And we give these guys a stack of cards with a telephone number on it and you know the law enforcement is just like oh my gosh this is the best thing ever right because now they're not having to try to tell them where to go or what to do they're just handing them a business card with a telephone number so even something small like that can do a lot to make the, the whole system work a lot better so can it when you're you know in your classes and your dealings with with um all these agencies what what is the basics like how does someone get started if you're on the animal control side or shelter side or or humane side what um what should you be starting with and then you know on the same same side you know how do they work together with the fire department like what what does that look like from the very beginning from the, the best 
classes, the, the best beginning, if I understand your question correctly, like what kind of beginning classes should they be taking? What should they be doing first? Is that what you're right? Yeah, you're I think so. I mean, I think yeah. it's kind of a multifaceted thing, you know, like what, if I'm going to approach the fire department and say, hey, we want to be able to, you know, help animals during, you know, this situation safely. How do we start, you know, where do we start with that, you know, uh, from from our level and then, you know, moving up from there? So one of the classes I I have put together, you know, that we train is a awareness level class. It, it, it runs about a 10 hour class. It can be as little as eight, but it really breaks down everything. It takes, you know, how you structure your organization, how you, you know, one of the challenges in structuring is that you really need two structures to run. You need a general structure. That is how your organization is going to get all its training done and how it's going to operate with its personnel and deciding what they're going to do and how they're going to do. And then you need an ICS, an incident command structure. And those are really two different structures. Um, the whole purpose of the incident command structure is how you run everything while you're, you know, while you're on the incident. If you try to run that you know, that same kind of structure while you're, you know, trying to do trainings and do everything else, it doesn't work. There is no training component to the incident command system. It, you need to have two different organizations. So we will break down everything on how you do that, how chain of commands work. Everything is simple as if somebody's got a complaint, how do you run a, a complaint through a chain of command on ICS? And how do you run a complaint through your normal chain of command so that everything works really well then we get into things like you know communication i mean most of these volunteers have never even talked on a you know on a community on a comms radio before so you know how do you do that you know how do you there's a you know and we break stuff down into the simplest easiest forms you know here's how you do it a b and c and so that way when they get out on a scene everything is they can just fall back onto their training um one of my biggest things that I push really hard on is team management and risk management because safety is the ultimate uh, factor that you that you need in place and so I have our guys trained in a way that they just follow the steps you know step one I do this then I do that and as they start to see different things and they get more experience then they can you know kind of ebb and flow through that a little bit but if they don't have those basic steps that they're going through when they get out there, I mean, it's one thing to sit in a classroom and talk about it and, you know, have it all go on. It's a whole other thing to be out in the field and, you know, fire's coming over top of the ridge and you're going, oh, my gosh, you know, what do I do? Well, we've already laid out steps for them so that they can. And an example of that would be we teach them how to set a fire perimeter. So as a lookout, this lookout is looking out over at a ridge. He doesn't just wait till the fire's on top of him. We teach him how to set different perimeters. So, hey, I'm going to look at that ridge line. When it hits that ridge line, I'm going to start to think, hey, things are starting to get a little bit close for me. If it hits this particular part, this next ridge line or this next set of trees, that's my go time. If I see any type of fire hitting those trees, it's a long ways off. But if I see him hitting that, I know it's time to, you know, tell my personnel, you know, hey, I, I think we, we should be wrapping it up. And then if it hits this set of trees here, they're even closer to me, th this is a go, no go. If it hits those, I'm calling withdraw and everybody's out of here. We're not, we're not waiting. So we, we give them the tools so that they can be out in that environment and not just feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. 
So that's one of the biggest deals is getting a real good basic awareness level system down for them and then starting to build on that. Once you get a good awareness level system, start building operational people out of your awareness level people. And hopefully you've already got some good awareness level people that, uh, that you can go through and, you know, deal with all that. So that's, that, that's what I would say with it. Yeah. And, and for folks that are listening to the podcast and want to see a list of Ken's current classes, run over to asartraining.com, go under the training. Uh, and we've got uh, Ken's animal fire rescue uh, classes listed in there and some descriptions and hours for each. And if you're interested in hosting a training or attending a training, we'll get you hooked up directly with Ken or one of his representatives um, to talk about how we get that training out to you or, or what best uh, fits schedules. Um, because it, it is one of those things that uh, we want to start to create this, this standard, not create the standard, we want this standard recognized, we want it pushed out, and we want everybody on the same page. And once we start to see that happen across the country, then we can start to go back and push on some of the uh, recognition pieces from the state fire marshals and and from some of our federal partners to say hey this standard is working we're starting to see people do it the right way and we're capturing after action reports and we're capturing case studies now and lessons learned from these fires um, and it's not all bad and when we capture things and and you know I hate to dwell on the campfire but when we look at the, something so catastrophic as the campfire um, which quickly overwhelmed local and regional resources and then affected so many people. When you look at that after action report, it reads like the horror story that it was. And you're trying to find the good that came out of it. And, and Ryan Tolsby, he's doing some tours now and speaking, and they are talking about some of the good things that, that came out of it um, because of that fire. But the chaos that was ensuing for the weeks that it was going on, um, that is the norm, is trying to deal with that chaos as it comes up. So having this training, having practical applications within the training like Ken is offering um, to say, hey, here's, here's classroom learning, but let's go out and do some, some real life practical issues and, and take a look at it. And Ken, I think I've seen some of your training pictures. You actually put your people in full gear and, and treat it like the real scenario. Tomorrow, when they're doing their the, tomorrow, our it's called an RT one thirty class that we're going to be teaching for them, and that is the annual wildland fire refresher course that that uh, NWCG you know sets a standard that all fire personnel behind fire lines needs to take this class. Well, you can have them be in the their fire gear. The standard is really they only need to be in their fire gear for the actual fire shelter portion of it. Um, I make them get the first thing they do when they get there. We line them all up. They all gear up, and they run the entire training in their fire gear. Because what that will do for them is they're, they're volunteers. They're not in that gear all the time. And that will not only get them used to being in it, but let them find out how it, you know, how it works, how it fits, how it, you know, when they're doing uh, other systems that we're doing, we do a system that's called uh, REMS. It's Rapid Extraction Methods. So we will teach them not only how to, you know, be protected in the fire situation, but how to rescue the rescuers if something happens during a fire situation. One of our personnel goes down 
And how do we get our guys out? How do we rescue our personnel? And so they'll be doing that a whole entire system, you know, with a Stokes basket and pulling a person out, and they'll do that all in fire gear. And when they're done at the end of the day, I was asked them, hey, what do you want to change? What do you want to, what did you see in your gear that worked well? What didn't work? And guys are constantly after that going, yeah, yeah I'm going to get a different uh, webbing belt. I'm going to get a different jacket. I'm going to do something. You know, things always are. And it's better to find out that there than, you know, on the fire. Uh, <laughs> when you were talking about the campfire up there, it, it made me think about how in the fire service, nothing ever changes unless there's a massive loss of property or life. Um, we saw that in, I think, 1984 with the MGM fire and that, uh, yeah, that hotel fire. Until then, you know, none of the standards were in place for taking care of hotel stuff. And that, unfortunately, is what it takes something like that campfire to create some new standards and some new things. And hopefully we can try to come up with some standards for animal rescue before we have a major catastrophe and lose even more than what we did uh, up there. Yeah, and, and that has seemed to be the, the push to really start to take a closer look at that because it is so different in the planning piece um, because the fire uh, environment is so fluid. And, of course, we do have that urban interface where the houses are, are, are meeting the woods and not everybody takes the precautions they should uh, in the interface to, to do prevention and mitigation efforts. And, you know, the last fire I actually worked, it's been a long time since I've been out on a fire. I bet you it's been six, seven years. And, um, you know, we were out in the Reno area and we happened to be teaching a wildland fire class through code three at the time. And they had a little pop-up fire and they called us at the hotel and they said, Hey, you want to come out and do evacuations? And I said, yeah, you know, we've got, we actually had our gear with us since we were training. And so we went and, and checked in at the command post and uh, winds were blowing like crazy. Uh, we weren't, task behind the fire line or anything crazy like that it was simply evacuating ahead of the of the smoke and the fire and we were tasked over to go get a couple horses lady could not get them loaded in her trailer i think that's pretty common as people don't don't uh, do enough training with their animals in a hectic and, and chaotic environment and they just assume they're going to load when they're freaked out and uh, we got there and um, I was really comfortable. The wind was blowing, but the fire was miles away and, and we were kind of taking our time and all of a sudden I see smoke and it was an ember that started a spot fire. We were nowhere near the fire line and, I, and all of a sudden everything went crazy of, oh, this is going to change real fast. We got to get the heck out of here. And, and I flipped on the, the fire scanner and sure enough, there were spot fires coming all over the place um, and the wind was just carrying the embers that much further. Uh, so uh, places that the ACOs and, and when we've done audits with other organizations, we've had multiple stories where ACOs say we were in doing feed and water in place. The division commander didn't even know we were in there. You know, there were civilians everywhere in there because they couldn't get it secure. And there, there's just so many moving parts during a fire. And again, most times, most people are there for the right reason, but they don't know how to interact with the fire service so they can be accounted for. And you'll hear it in every podcast. If we can't account for it, if it doesn't come up and it, and it wasn't written down that it happened or cataloged um, or it's in report, then it never happened. And just like Ken said, if it's not recorded in a, in a report or something catastrophic didn't happen, there's not going to be change. And, and that's what we're going for. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's really 
important to have them like just in your particular instance that's where it's one of the things we train our guys they are our scout unit is they have to have lookouts in place and they have to have them lookouts in place in a way that they can see stuff that's happening but they're not also looking out fire that's advancing or where it's coming from but their head is supposed to be on a swivel and they're looking for spot fires the entire time that's one of the most dangerous things that will get to you know anybody and you know all these things are really they're always pretty well laid out you know our wildland fire service has done a pretty good job of laying out you know, your lces your lookouts you know your comms your communications your safety zones all these things are you know there it's just a matter of kind of adapting them a bit and then having them putting into a standard format that everybody can follow when it comes to uh you know animal rescue uh one of the things that uh, you know, you asked me before about you know what could uh agencies do if they're brand new and getting started um contacting me is going to be a very good thing to do either through our website or you know just contacting you directly i'm sure you're going to have information there for them to be able to do that um we have i have we are not an agency you know animal fire rescue is a training facility we don't hold on to anything we give everything that we possibly have so I've written for our, my training facility has written for other agencies like San Diego Humane Society. We've written all their uh, PMPs for them. We've written task books, you know, and we just give all that stuff out. If any agency is wanting to get something started, we're going to give you a ton of information because the more we can give our stuff out, the more we're going to get back. Maybe they're going to look at it, do something different with it. Say, hey, we, you know, we took this, but we changed it a little bit here. We made it a little bit refined, it, you know, and suddenly we're getting something back better than we even gave away. So we're real, real big on giving away information. I want people to know that we're all starting up with stuff. Don't hesitate to call. Don't hesitate to ask for stuff. We will give you everything that, that we have. And Ken, what is your website? Uh, it's very simple. Just animalfirerescue.com. There you go. So you can get it at animalfirerescue.com or you can see Ken's stuff on acertraining.com and we will hook you directly with Ken um, to, to, and that is great. I did not know you guys were, were doing startups like that and consulting in those areas. So that is wonderful to hear that you guys are providing that service. You know, I think that's just fantastic because what I hear over and over from animal control agencies and people who want to get into this is they, they just have no idea how to even approach um, the training or approach their fire departments and saying, hey, you know, what do we need to have to be taken seriously? Because I think there's this all, always this thought that, oh, you know, it's just animals, you know, no one's going to care, no one's going to want us there. And I don't think that's really the case when you do end up talking to these agencies and these fire departments. They actually do want that help because, like you said, they're busy with the human side. So I think it's, um, you know, how do we get these responders to um, have the right verbiage and know what the training is? And it's just making that initial approach into it and knowing the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the, the fire service has, in my experience and dealing with it in my years of doing it, the attitude today seems to be a whole lot better. It, it, the old attitude I kind of saw when I was first getting started was we didn't want anybody from anything like 
you know, if you if you weren't a firefighter, we didn't want you anywhere near anything. And it seems to me now that the the whole culture of that has changed. The fire departments are saying, you know, yeah, you know what, we want to help with this. You know, you got you got a resource that'll come out. Now, what they want is they want a resource that will come out and is well trained and safe. And if they see that, you know, when they when they see our guys showing up and coming through road closures, all in the proper gear, carrying fire shelters, you know, looking professional and acting professional, and following the same kind of guidelines and standards and using the same verbiage that they are, it just puts them at total ease. They're not running them off and you know saying, oh yeah, you got to get out of here. They're you know they're welcoming them in and actually offering to help. Hey, what can we do? You know, we can we lay down a you know, a hose lay over here to give you guys some protection while you're doing this. You know, it, it becomes more of a partnership than, you know, we're in there stepping on their toes. Well, Ken, it's been great having you on the show today. Um, any parting thoughts on, on before we end up today um, that you'd like to, to pass? Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, you're, what you're doing with your organization and drawing different units together is, phenomenal that's one of the you know things that we're modeling at animal fire rescue we're modeling your deal on a little more of an instructor idea and that is that we we're here in san diego you know we're talking all the time and bringing in guys to help us teach this stuff all over the place so we're going to be constantly adding you know i've got a i've got a few uh, fire captains currently that are instructors with me, uh, some of them in San Diego, some of them out of San Diego. Um, but your concept of, you know, doing that and bringing in different groups of specialties and, you know, it's something that we're really looking at and that, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to be operating. And we're using that same concept where, you know, with our wildland, we're getting instructors, trying to get instructors all over the place because it becomes if somebody calls us and wants us to get wants us to put together a class, if I've got an instructor that's in the same county with them, the logistics of putting that together for them and the cost of being able to put that together for them is so much better than if I've got to logistically get personnel from all the way from San Diego all the way to Northern California or Oregon or wherever else they want to be. Absolutely. So I, I, I really applaud you on putting that together and we're, uh, we're stealing that concept a bit. No, and, and that is outstanding. Uh, we're finding uh, a lot of success and, and, you know, we, we have grown the platform out of necessity. Uh, you know, we started the program back in 2005 with two classes and two instructors, and now we have 14 instructors and offer over 30 classes on the platform. And, you know, we, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to create an environment where these multidisciplined uh, facets can come together and work together on, and problem solve and, and meet these guidelines or create these guidelines. And we're about ready at the federal level to go back through best practice work group standards. And one of the issues that I think we're going to want to tackle again and take on is the wild and fire issue. Uh, because when we tried it in 2013, we didn't have a good grasp of standards or training that could be available. So we didn't even know where to start. And when we started to look at the raw system or the resource ordering system through fire 
and trying to take the concept of ASAR, which was new back then because it hadn't even been published by FEMA, um, trying to take that, we took it to the States and they thought, well, you know, it's not quite perfected yet. We're going to wait and see who picks up the ball and run with it. So we took it down to the locals and we had good idea. We had good relationship with some local fire departments. Uh, but for us to really be part of the system, we had to get our cards and be firefighter two certified, um, which wasn't going to be applicable for a lot of the animal control people or animal rescue teams to go through all that training. And then there was an insurance issue. And, and then we started getting the weeds on the administrative piece of it. So we had to back back out and say, okay, that wasn't the best route. Yes, it got ASAR teams into the raw system, but they were buried down in a specialty surface uh, next to bulldozers drivers and so nobody knew where to go find anybody that, that had taken that limited training so now we back back out and now ASAR uh, has been published at the FEMA uh, resource typing and it's being recognized now fire departments have their NFPA tactical animal rescue um, standards that they have to meet and we're starting to see the discipline starting to work together and mesh together um, we've recently you know in the last two years really started to see the USAR teams and the state task force teams come on strong with their animal uh, handling skills and their their um, need for animal rescue specialists to tag in with their teams because people are bringing their animals out. And I have story after story of these first responder teams that their primary mission is life safety. And they're literally standing there holding a leash because there's nobody to support them. Um, when in fact, you know, we could be working with groups like Ken's to get the training to these people so they can work side by side or in support of the fire department in a professional fashion. And fire says, okay, San Diego or this team's been trained by Animal Fire Rescue. Um, we recognize their training and they're good to send a couple people in with us because we don't have to worry about them because we know they've taken in that great training um, and that um, is the standard that we're trying to set is that it's recognizable and it's something that people can take all over the country because again we're seeing a lot of fires and you know we even had the discussion with some teams over in Australia where they said you know are, are your teams that are that potentially could come over are they do they have a fire card? And I'm like, we don't have a, a unified fire card in the United States for ASAR teams. We just don't yet. There are spots that may be able to identify them like San Diego um, where, you know, you guys have worked hard to create those relationships and be recognized, but that's a unique environment that we hope to see replicated um, across the country in some fashion. And then again, it sounds like you've got some, some real, positive resources that can help people start that conversation in their area. Well, yeah, we're hoping to reproduce a lot of that fire stuff in, in, in as well. So all that red card stuff that you're talking about and all that is all looking to get reproduced here as, as well. So yes, we're looking forward to those conversations. Well, thank you, Ken, so much for joining us today. It's been incredibly insightful and informative. Miss Carla, any parting thoughts? Um, yeah, no, it was great, Ken, uh, have all these things rolling around in my head about uh, training that I want to take now. So I uh, really appreciate all your thoughts today. Um, everybody, thank you for listening in. Make sure you check out our Instagram and Facebook pages and check us out on ASARTraining.com.